Oh no, good morning, New Post Church. How are you doing today? Oh, there's definitely more in you than that. Good morning, New Post Church. How are you doing? There we go. I mean, I do pastor a live church, so I expect a live church wherever I go, right? Hey, I just want to start off by saying um, that you guys are, are really blessed. I, I'm blessed to be here today, and thank you so much for allowing me to come. Uh, my wife, Madeline, and I, she's right there, the beautiful woman right there, um, are, are excited to be with you today because we, um, we love this church, even though we've never gotten invited to be here before. Um, I'm sure the invite... <laughs> I'm sure the invite stood. We just kind of have an obligation on Sunday mornings that we usually stick to. Um, it's being at our church. Yeah, but I'm really excited to be here today. Your pastor, and he doesn't pay me to say this. There's nothing like we like. I just, I love him. I love Brandon, and I love Leah, and we love them, and you are truly blessed to have them. Uh, I've just gotten to know Brandon. Yeah. I've gotten to know Brandon over the years, and, um, and truly, when I met him, I liked him, but like, He's just getting better with age. He's like a good wine. He's just, um, he's getting so, uh, just as a leader, as a pastor, I've watched him uh, continue to grow, and I'm kind of like feeling like, man, I got to keep on working on my growth curve because um, you inspire me, you're exciting to be around, and uh, you truly are a blessed church. Excited for this new facility, excited for all that God's doing. Buildings are just uh, a tool that the Lord can use to change what he cares most about, which are people. And so I'm excited about you being here today in the middle of summer when uh, half the church goes on vacation. That's what I'm hearing from my church right now. They're like low attendance because people are on vacation, but you're here. And are you excited to be here today? Okay, good, because I am too. Because um, I'm excited to kind of continue and I think finish the series Unlikely Heroes. Is that true? Yes, yes I'm finishing it. Okay. So the grand finale, as you could say. Um, and I'm just curious to kind of get to know each other a little bit. Have you ever tried before to um, get to communicate to somebody something that you've seen, especially, like trying to get them to picture something? And as you're describing it, it's just not clicking? Anybody? You're like trying and you're like really trying and like they're just not getting it. Or have you ever had somebody who's trying to describe something to you? They're articulating it and they're going through explaining it and you're like, I have no idea. They're like, well, it was big, but not like super big, just kind of sort of big. And you're like, what are you talking about? They're like, it was kind of round, but boxy and long in like a flat kind of way. <laughs> yeah, if you don't show me a picture, I got no idea what you're talking about. Anybody? Yeah, sometimes it's because what does, what they're describing is just they're not, doing a good, they're not doing a good job describing it. But sometimes the reason why it's hard is because what they're describing is just something hard to imagine. Like, I want you to imagine being the first person to discover a platypus and then try and explain it to somebody else. Right? You're like, it's like a, it's like a little like, otter, but kind of like a beaver, but kind of like a duck. And then they're like, no, never mind. I, you lost me a duck. I have no idea what you're talking about. Or imagine being the first explorers who are down in the equator um, tribal villages explaining to them what snow is. Yeah. Uh, well, it falls from the sky like the rain does, but it's freezing cold and uh, is in these unique little flakes. It'd be so hard to describe it. And I've found that any pioneering work, there become new unseen things. Y'all tracking with me this morning? What I'm saying is that, like, anytime you're doing something new and exciting or new and fresh, there become new things that you've never seen before. Yes? So today I want to talk about not new plants or new animals or new, you know, landscape. I want to talk about new people. And I'm convinced today that the gospel of Jesus is continuing to push forward, that the good news is still changing people's lives. I was waiting for one. 
If I didn't get a good amen on that one, I was going to say it again. I'll say it again anyway. I'm convinced the good news of Jesus is still changing people's lives. Yeah. And as it continues to do new and amazing things, I want us to look today at an old text to help us picture someone being made new. Because I'll just show my cards early on here this morning with y'all. I'm convinced that some of us, we just can't picture it. I'm convinced that some of us, we're struggling. We just can't picture quite what God is capable of doing. And not necessarily picture um, the story that we're going to read, because you might be able to picture the story of Paul, our uh, final unlikely hero in this series you guys have been in. You might be able to picture the story of Paul. Okay, I, I can see this. Okay, sure, I've read it. I've heard it before maybe or something like that. I get it. But you may struggle to see it happening and picture it happening today to either you or to someone that you know. And I want to I have us be able to picture something that maybe is a little bit foreign to us this morning together. And the picture is painted by a man named Luke. Luke is, just so you know, um, he wrote another book. Any, any guesses on what that book was called? Yes, Luke. So we're going to be in Acts, but he also wrote another book, and he, uh, we titled it Luke. And uh, he's a doctor, and so he's very detail-minded. He's, he's one of those detail-oriented people. You know those people, right? Yeah, some of you are those people. He's detail-oriented. He's a historian extraordinaire. And so for the gospel account called Luke, I'm just getting some engagement, y'all. I preach so much better when you engage with me, okay? I preach better and I preach shorter. I got you now. So anyway, he's in his gospel account named... Yes, he interviewed people. He starts off by saying, I went through and I interviewed people. Now, the cool thing is in Acts, the, book, the, the story that we're going to read is in Acts. Acts has some of that. Acts has some moments where Luke interviewed people and he got the sense of what happened. You tell me what happened. I'm going to write it all down. But Luke writes Acts with a little bit of a different bend because he's going to say in some of the parts of Acts, he's going, and then we did this, and then we did that because at this point, he's joining with them. So this is exciting because now he's going, here's what we experienced. Now, Acts as a whole is a history of movement, okay? We're going to get into the passage in just a section, but I want, in just a second, but I want us to understand that Acts is a history of movement. It's a movement of the gospel, and it basically begins, Acts 1-8, with Jesus saying, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Yeah? Track with me? Okay. And if you look for it, this is something cool that I remember I learned in Bible college. If you look for it, the stories of Acts show that exact thing happening. It's not as obvious. You have to kind of like look for it, but it's right there. It's like, then it starts off with the disciples in Jerusalem. And then there's some persecution, and they get pushed to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And so Acts is a history story of movement, incredible stories along the way of pioneers of the first century church are led by the Holy Spirit to proclaim good news to those living in darkness. Now, speaking of darkness... In Acts chapter 7, we get introduced to, in the last few verses of it, to a new character on the scene in Luke's storytelling who is in the shadows. He kind of, I imagine, like, his story has been actually in Acts 7 about Stephen. Stephen is a guy who's a dude in the church. He's a leader in the church. He's beloved. He helps serve the needs of the people. That's what deacons do. They help serve the needs of the people. So he's putting food in people's mouths, and he's blessing people in really physical and tangible ways. But he's also proclaiming the gospel, and that's getting him in trouble. In fact, in this moment, he's getting stoned to death by the religious people of that day, the Pharisees. And so Luke paints a scene where in that moment, as he's storytelling and he's telling that, I want you to picture it. That's what we're doing today, right? Picturing things? I want you to picture, he goes to the cameraman and goes, now pan over to the right. 
And in the right corner back here in the shadows somewhere, there's a guy named Saul who is standing watching over the coats of the people who need the, the extra mobility to throw their stones. And he's watching over their coats, allowing them not to get grabbed or anything like that. As he looks on, it says, in approval of what they're doing. He's a Pharisee too, and he's like, yep, this is exactly what needs to happen to this guy. He needs to die. And, uh, and so Saul was a Pharisee from the strong line of Benjamin, trained well by Gamaliel, and absolutely fanatical about stomping out this new sect of Judaism called Christianity. See, because Christians were claiming that God had come in human form. Preposterous. God is not man. Yep. God is not man. They claimed that this God-man had been from Nazareth. That's ridiculous. Nothing good comes from Nazareth, okay? They claimed, these, these Christians, that he was born of a virgin. Convenient. Rumors seem to kind of indicate that maybe there was another option for how that baby got here. You know, these Christians claimed that God, this God-man, he chose disciples, as rabbis do. But that his disciples were fishermen, a tax collector, and a bunch of women. Okay, and you still want to call this guy Messiah and follow him? Come on, Paul's thinking, Saul's thinking. Get real here. <laughs> and as if all that weren't enough, these Christians in Saul's day claim that God in flesh, God in flesh, allowed himself to suffer and die a Roman crucifixion, but somehow resurrected three days later and then after 40 days ascended to heaven. What nonsense. Seriously, Saul thinks. This is craziness. This isn't real. This is all ridiculous, blasphemous, and dangerous. That's what Saul thinks. And the, it's dangerous mostly to his worldview, his worldview and his beliefs that he has. Right? Right? Like, he's basically going, I'm sorry, this is what God, this is who God is and how God operates. And, and what you're talking about, no. And I want, to, I want us to understand that because for us to really, I think today, and I'll just tell you this, guys, especially on, you know, a summery day like today, I'm not here to just do church, and I'm sure you're not either. I want God to speak to us this morning. Yes? Okay, good. We're all on the same page. I think for us to understand and really appreciate this moment in history that did happen, it is so good for us to realize the gospel still really does this today, where it really rubs some people the wrong way. It goes against their worldview of what God, who God is and how he operates with people, and it's just like, mm-mm. Because listen, y'all, the gospel of Jesus, the good news that it is, doesn't necessarily sound all that good to everybody at first. Yeah? Saul didn't picture it as good news. He wasn't looking at this good news as good. So we're aided by Luke's description to, to picture Saul standing by approving as Stephen is stoned in Luke 7. But then just a few verses later, we pick up on Saul's trajectory here on the screen. Acts 8.3, it says... Saul now is ravaging the church. So just a few, later, um, few verses later, he's now ravaging the church. And then entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So there's movement. Yes? Because one, y'all with me? Okay, because one moment he's in the shadows, and now he's actually actively going and imprisoning people. He's going house to house, and he's imprisoning people. It's like I said, Acts is a story of movement, but this isn't actually the, the thing I said about Acts being a movement of the gospel. Instead, it's a movement from Saul spectating to activating in his persecution of the church. And then it's not much longer in Luke's narrative, chapter 9, where we see activating move to expanding. Verse 1. We're going to read a number of verses here, and we're gonna, I'm going to interrupt myself if that's okay. But Saul... 
still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, and uh, the way would be just one of the many different ways they would refer to people who are followers of Christ, the way of Jesus, which, by the way, indicates that it's not just a belief in Jesus. Jesus invited people to a way of living, a whole new way of life. That's another sermon. Anyway, um, but so they would call Christians people who belong to the way, men or women. He might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem wasn't big enough territory for uh, Saul to go ahead and dominate and devastate, he needed more. So he's now going out to other places and going, let's get him from these places and bring him back to Jerusalem so we can try them on, uh, in court here. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly, this is the moment, like the Damascus Road moment, suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And then the voice said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, I want to make a really important note here, okay? Up to this point, uh, there's no indication that Saul has ever physically seen Jesus. Yeah? Okay. There's no indication. Yes, in case you don't know. I'm not going to lie to you up here. Um, Also, there's no indication that then Saul has physically ever touched, hit, hurt, or persecuted physically Jesus. And yet what we see here, and this is so important, my wife Madeline has really been, the Lord kind of spoke this to her, and I'm basically stealing her notes and preaching them. Thank you. Um, But like, this is an indication of just how intimately Jesus calls himself the head of the body, the church. This shows us how much he really means it, how much Jesus loves his his church, his body. That, That at the end of the day, he's not going, hey, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? He goes, Saul, why are you persecuting me? There's no differentiation for Jesus. He's like, you're persecuting me. Um, it, would, it would be so good for us, every single one of us who follow Jesus and claim to follow Jesus, to really learn from Jesus what it looks like to love the church the way he does. I think it would be really good for us all to go, you know what, this is an embodiment of Jesus in the world today. Yeah? All right. But then it goes on in verse 6. But rise, Jesus is still talking to Saul here, and tells him to enter the city, and you will be told what to do. I just want to interrupt myself here again. I think this is fascinating, the way that God so oftentimes will do these kinds of things, where he just goes, hey, um, I want you to go and go to a place, and I'll tell you more later. That's what he does to Abraham, right? When Abraham's Abram, back in the Old Testament, God goes ahead and says to Abram, um, you have no kids. You definitely should have had kids by now. You're, you're thinking you're never going to have kids. In fact, I'm going to actually make you um, into many nations. Um, but first, you need to go. Where? Just Go. I'm sorry, and also, how are we going to do the kids thing? Mm-mm, just, just go. All that comes later. That's how God often operates with some of our best heroes, and it would be really good for you and I, and I'm preaching to myself this morning, okay, to be more okay with God just saying, here's the direction I want you to go in. The five-year plan, the 10-year plan, I'm not going to lay it out for you. I'm sorry, love you, but I'm not going to do it. But are you willing to be obedient and faithful anyway? It's really good for us to recognize he did that with some of our biggest heroes, He might want to do it with you too. He might not want to give you the five-year plan, the 10-year plan, and that's okay. As long as we know, I'm going to follow whatever he tells me to do next. Then verse 7, the men who were traveling with Saul stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Now Saul rose from the ground, and here's the problem. Although his eyes were open physically, he saw nothing. So all of a sudden he's blind. 
He was doing his thing, and he was fine, but now he's blind. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. For how many days? I find it significant. Yeah, I, I find it significant that the Jesus, not the church of Jesus, but the Jesus whom he's persecuting, who was in the tomb for three days, is now saying, here's the deal. I want you to go ahead and we're going we're gonna to empathize with you. You're going to relate to me a little bit here, Saul. You're going to be blind for three days. And as I kind of sat in darkness for three days, you're going to be invited to sit in darkness for three days. And you're going to walk through some dark times here, Saul, so that this is a refining moment for you. The Jesus you've been actively persecuting now, you are, are going to go ahead and relate to. And it's so interesting. For then three days, as Saul suffers without being able to see, he actually has physically seeing, he actually has his spiritual eyes starting to open up. And as Jesus was in the grave and then came out three days later alive, Saul is kind of bringing, being brought about to new life here in his grave moment as well. But here's where it gets even crazier. And this is the critical piece to my message today. So all of this really has been building up really to kind of where we're, we're getting to right now. Y'all with me? Okay. God now begins to involve his beloved children in what he's doing in Saul's life. I know you asked me to preach on Saul, the um, unlikely hero, but I want to bring in some new characters, if that's okay. They're in the scripture here. Verse 10, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. So real quickly, since I know that you're still with me, or so that I know you're still with me, he's a disciple, yes? Means he's a follower of Jesus, you could say? Means Jesus speaks to him, and when Jesus speaks to him, he listens to him and obeys him. That's what disciple means, just in case you don't know. Yeah? Disciple means you listen to Jesus, you follow him and obey him. And so here's the problem. He's in what, like, what city, what town? Which happens to be the place, same place that Saul's at right now, isn't it? And wasn't Saul sent there to go ahead and arrest those Christians, those disciples of Jesus? Ananias is not unaware of this. He's aware that he is in the city that Saul has come to persecute people. So uh, there's a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he's like, that's me. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said, now that we know your name, check this out. Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. I'm smiling because I think this is funny. I think it's funny because Jesus is basically like, just in case Ananias, you want to get out of this, he's got a vision where a guy named your name comes and lays hands on him and heals him of his blindness. So Ananias can't pull a whole, like, listen, Lord, use somebody else, because there probably aren't a whole lot of Ananiases in Damascus. So Ananias is like, you really boxed me in here, God. Okay. But here's the thing. Why would Ananias not want to be a part of a cool story of laying hands? How many of you would like to go around and lay hands on people and have them physically healed? Okay. Some of y'all are like, I don't respond in church. <laughs> Or you don't want to help people heal, and that's actually scarier. But anyway, um, or you don't want the responsibility. And I think that's what Ananias is doing, because imagine if you're Ananias healing somebody of blindness who literally is looking for Christians, you're like, and now you see one. <laughs> like, that's literally your responsibility is to be like, I will be the first believer you're going to see after you're unblinded. And Ananias answered the Lord, and this tells him why he doesn't want to do it. Lord, I have... I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. So Saul is somebody who's adamantly 
opposed to Ananias. His passion is to see people like Ananias put down. Who knows what this guy would do once he regains his sight? He's one of the most unlikely candidates to come to Christ. Saul is, right? In Ananias' mind, and come on, let's just let's have church today. Let's be real, okay? In Ananias' mind, he is near the top of the list of most unlikely people to ever turn to Jesus and, and love Jesus. And, and as I was prepping for this sermon, I was thinking, okay, they told me, I want you to preach on Paul as an unlikely hero. All right. Paul, Saul, we'll get into that in just a second. But Paul is an unlikely hero. Oftentimes, I've thought of it because, like, he's a murderer for Christians. And, um, yeah, murderer kind of can make you an unlikely hero. I mean, I'm not trying to just whatever your, your backstory might be. Um, church is for all kinds of people. Amen? As we'll, as we'll see. And so sometimes we preach it like, man, Paul was a murderer. So no matter what sin you've done. But here's the thing. I actually think that Paul, Saul, we'll get to that in a second, like I said, is an unlikely hero for the gospel, more so maybe because he is a person who is actively, adamantly opposed to the gospel message. It may actually, I think, be what makes him more of an unlikely hero. Can we just admit that it might actually be easier to imagine a killer coming to Christ than somebody who just holds strong views that are opposed to the gospel coming to Jesus? Because you know what I'm talking. Here's what I actually, I would love to do. I would love you to... I would love you to picture somebody who comes to mind for you. And I did this in prepping my messages, by the way. Picture somebody who comes to mind as somebody who's just adamantly opposed to Jesus. Like, you know, like, you, you can't mention Jesus without them, like, wanting to argue with you. Somebody, maybe, again, I, I'm, I'm believing maybe there's some of you in the room that you're like, yeah, I'm kind of in here because somebody talked me into it. Maybe you're dating somebody that's like, you're coming to church with me. I don't know. But I do know that it could be a variety of people that we could picture. It could be a coworker, It could be a family member. It could be a neighbor. It could be a friend. It could be an enemy. It could be a whole people group. You could look and go, there's a group of people that I really think are so far from Jesus. I, I can't really picture them coming to Jesus. Ananias, for him, he was going to meet that guy. Y'all with me? He couldn't imagine somebody more unlikely to become transformed by the good news and made into a new creation of Christ. Yeah, Jesus, I know you resurrected from the dead, but Saul... Like, yeah, Jesus, I know you were able to work with Peter, as you guys heard about last week, Peter, and make him into, uh, from like a, a nobody into like a leader of the church. One of the best sermons ever he preaches and like thousands are saved. I mean, come on. Like, but, but Saul, like Ananias, he's, it's not too often, come on, let's have some church, yeah? It's not too often zealots admit they're wrong and then turn to Jesus. So, again, if we're really doing church this morning, we're realizing Saul is a really hard person to realistically believe. You can't skip ahead and know that he does, okay? Don't cheat and know that he does. But it's so hard, if we can relate to Ananias, to believe that it can happen. And, I, again, I have people in my mind right now that we're going to pray for in just a second that I'm still going, I can't imagine. It'd be really hard. But I think this morning I'm here to help increase our faith in the saving power of Jesus. That that's what this message is ultimately about. That actually Jesus can. He can. Verse 15, it picks up. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. Ananias really, in a way, ends up being a, a, a hero in this story because he simply decides to obey God. No matter how crazy the command, Jesus gets to not only be Savior, but Lord. 
So Ananias hears from God, this is what I need you to do. And then he goes, okay, I'll go ahead and I'll do it. And then he says, laying his hands on him, he said, wow. Lays, laying his hands on him, he said, somebody help me out here. What's he say? Now, he's not from the South. I don't believe so. So this isn't a Southern colloquialism where he's just like, hey, brother Saul, how are you doing today? He is doing something that is so profound that I think we need to catch. Ananias is going, I'm going to align myself with what God believes about this guy. Now, really important for us to do as far as what we understand and apply this scripture, okay? Y'all with me still? I know I keep on asking that, but I want to make sure that, like, we're tracking together and you're still awake. It's kind of dimly lit in here. It's kind of warm. I could fall asleep. Um, Saul has had a transformative moment with Jesus in these three days. So actually, Ananias knows that he is brother. So he's not claiming that an unrepentant sinner is a brother, okay? I just need you to know that. Like, he's not saying, hey, you want nothing to do with Jesus. You're an unrepentant sinner. Instead, what he's doing is going, hey, listen, God's told me that this is what's happened in your life. So rather than argue with God and make you prove to me that you're changed, I'm going to believe it and I'm going to speak to you like you are. Yeah. So he's going, like, this is now not an enemy. This is family. And I'm not going to hold this term of endearment back just because he's got a lot of things to prove to me. You've hurt me by hurting people that I knew and loved. Yeah? And Ananias is going, no, 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 you're, you're my brother. You're my brother Saul. A man he once saw as an enemy, he now sees as spiritual family. What an amazing thing it is when we... You and I, who've been brought into the family of Jesus with all of our sin and all of our brokenness. Amen? Yeah. And welcome into the family those who have their own maybe different brand of sin and their own different brand of weakness. That we can welcome them in and go, you know, there's grace for all of us. So, so Ananias says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Now for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. So what a transformation. What a twist it is here for Saul to all of a sudden go, yeah, immediately he is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, hold on a second, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Have you ever thought about how, in a way, it makes no sense, it makes perfect sense that Jesus would choose, choose some of the most unlikely people to become evangelists? What I mean here is, like, Take the least likely person that you, you have, that you, the least likely person to be saved that you have in your mind. Are you all with me this morning? You have somebody or a group of people? Yeah? Okay. So take the least likely person that you, have, you can think would ever come to Jesus, would ever maybe come forward, or I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and uh, the least likely person. Now imagine that person actually comes to faith in Jesus. How much they might have to share the gospel to the people that are like them. Yeah, or just how much of a testament that moment is to the goodness of Jesus that it would go ahead and change hearts and minds that much more. Because now all of a sudden the zeal that they once had that would combat. Awesome. Is it? Yeah, cool. And I'll just turn this one off. I, uh, I told them I preach using this at, alive. 
and the Lord just knew I needed a handheld mic. Because <laughs> now, as I could say, I can get real close, and then I can also shout if I need to. All right, um, but here's the deal. You think of the people that are of a different religious background, could never come to Jesus. But if they did, wouldn't it be so fitting that Jesus would then use them to speak to the same people that had the worldview that they had before they came to Jesus? The people who struggle with, uh, struggle with sexual immorality, once they're saved from that lifestyle that once identified them, can all of a sudden speak to people who still identify that way. And all of a sudden, the gospel carries a little bit more weight because you've been where I've been. I'm not saying it has to be. I'm just saying sometimes it's actually the most unlikely. The, the church hurt prodigal person who was in church but then got hurt and ran away comes back to people who are wounded with the gospel that's transformed their lives, and now they can speak. They can kind of carry a weight that maybe others wouldn't. Jesus is so good about building his church that he'll take Saul's, the people that we would go, there's no way, and he'll be like, you'll never even believe what I'll do with that person. Come on now. The self-focused, wild-at-heart party person can all of a sudden reach people that you couldn't reach. You know, it's, it's the most unlikely that make the most incredible witnesses, and that's why the one thing that I hope we all get from today's message is simply this. Our best future heroes could be our current enemies. That's what the story of Saul kind of shows us. Our best future unlikely heroes are unlikely because they could be our current enemies. Our, our future spiritual family could be our current spiritual enemies. But do we have faith to believe God for that? Still a little bit more of the story that Luke's telling us that I want to look at. Is that okay? Okay, let's look at it then. Verse 23. When many days had passed, the storyteller tells us, the Jews plotted to kill him. This isn't Ananias. The Jews are now plotting to kill their old buddy, Saul. So things have changed for him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. There is so much going on here. First of all, he leaves Damascus to head for the capital of Judaic belief. It's like the Mecca for Muslims. It's like the Portland for progressives. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's going to Jerusalem, and he's going to go there to team up with the other followers of Jesus who are there, who are seeking to live out the way of Jesus in that same city, and who are seeking to, to spread the gospel of Jesus to those people who are so entrenched in a worldview that honestly set up the stage for Christianity, but are still opposed to seeing Jesus as the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Messiah. And he's going to go there and he's going to team up with the disciples. It's going to be so awesome is what Saul's thinking. And it should have been. But it's not going to be easy as we find out. Because it goes on and says, and they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe he was a disciple. Because it's obviously not you, but the person sitting next to you would probably be the same way if they were in Jerusalem in that day. You obviously would totally believe. You have enough faith. But the other people that maybe didn't come to church this morning, they would struggle to really believe, like, wait a second. This seems like a really good way of discovering who the Christians are in a very, very covert kind of way. Right? Right? Strategically, Saul goes, I am no longer trying to kill Christians. Please let me into your secret house churches. I would love to worship with you. <laughs> nah, that's good. That's good. That's good. You should go to, uh, to Bridge Church, actually. Go, go check out Bridge Church or something like that. You go visit them or go visit, you know, River Club or Riverside or something like that. I don't know. Uh, but Barnabas took him. Oh, another great character. Verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road 
he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Luke's storytelling arc in Acts isn't actually, we're starting to see now, being interrupted by the story of Saul. It's actually an arc, a story arc in and of itself in the greater arc. Jesus personally confronts Saul and there's an inner transformation over three days. Well, then Jesus invites Ananias to bring Saul into community and then through community into healing. Because I'll tell you this, church, get into community here at New Post because Jesus often will hold on to his church in a way by bringing them into community and that's where healing happens. It's through community. Yeah, he could just do it directly in your quiet time with the Lord or just magically like, but he wants to and he chooses to do it through community. So, so, so Ananias says, hey, brother, and there's a, a moment of healing, and it's expanding. The story of Saul is expanding. Well, then from there, Jesus grows, um, grows Saul's influence to help positively impact some believers. Because we didn't make mention of this, but did you notice that it said about Saul's disciples in Damascus? I don't know how long he was there, but he already had disciples in, Damas in Damascus. Saul got, turns to Jesus, and he's already got followers shortly thereafter. So Jesus is expanding his influence. And then from there, Jesus compels Barnabas, whose name means encourager, to champion Saul, and Saul gets sent out to begin his work of reaching those who've never, ever even heard of this Yahweh. Not Jews who have heard of Yahweh, but those who maybe were worshiping and Gentiles who have heard of, like, Zeus or Dagon or Baal or the sun god or whatever. Because, see, as we see in verse 28, Saul went out, Saul went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. That sounds good, by the way, doesn't it? Y'all, you're still with me? Imagine New Post as a church that had peace, was built up was comforted directly by the Holy Spirit and was multiplying. Imagine the church in Fredericksburg and Spotsy and Stafford being a church that is at peace, that is being built up, that is comforted by the Holy Spirit and is multiplying, yes? And it's because, apparently contextually, Jesus wanted to save Saul and wanted to use him and wanted some people on his team who were gonna go, hey, brother, and welcome him in as a brother. Some people who are gonna go, Hi, my name's Barnabas. That guy's name's Saul. We're letting him in. But he hasn't proven himself to us. Yeah, yeah, we're letting him in. He's got a place here. God wants to do a work in him. We're going we're gonna to be a part of his work. We're not going to stop it. We're going to support it. We're going to make sure he's ready. We're not going to be foolish, but we're not going to be foolish. And so he didn't consult, Jesus didn't, the current Christians, because probably some of them would have thought it was not a good idea, it wasn't worth the hassle, was going to be you know, concerning. And I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't operate by human wisdom. Sometimes, yes? Yeah, he uses the foolish things, it says, to confound the wise. There's a verse in Isaiah, we're getting near the end, just in case you're wondering, how much longer is he gonna? Um, there's a verse in Isaiah that we're gonna look at in just a second here, that you're, we're commonly using in a way that I think is fair, but also inaccurate. And what I mean is this, it says about God saying, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. And very often Christians will use this verse to say, God's thoughts are so much bigger than ours, greater than ours. He's just way bigger of a God than we are humans. Is that true today, church? It is true. That is not what these verses are actually trying to communicate. So just in case you just, you, it's not like it's inaccurate, but those verses are actually in a context where it's actually revealing the compassion of God for those people that you and I picture as going, mm -mm, they're too far. 
No, 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 these people are too difficult. These people are too way gone. There, there's just no way. Because look at it. In, in Isaiah 55, verse 6, it starts by saying, this is God crying out to the people. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. Pause, because I don't want to just, that who may have compassion on him? See, I was wondering if we were paying attention. Um, this is all about God, right? For he will abundantly pardon. So, so who's having compassion? God. God's having compassion. So, so he goes, hey, your thoughts are not my thoughts, and, and your ways let him return to the way. Because he's going to go ahead and say, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God inspired Isaiah to say, I want you to tell people that the compassion of God is bigger than they imagine. Just in case you're wondering, this is the God of the Old Testament. He gets a bad rap as if he like, changed who he was in the New Testament. He didn't. He's crying out to people in Isaiah going, I love you guys so much. Stop being idiots. That's what he said. Stop going in that stupid way. Stop doing that stupid thing. Stop doing the brokenness that constantly leads to more brokenness. And, and what he says here is that, like, my thoughts are my, your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. I actually love those people. So that's why I'm crying out. You would want to write them off, God says, but I'm not writing them off. I want to reach them. And so Saul to Paul, just so we know, is actually about God going, and now I want to reach more people. Because have you ever met somebody who you have to ask them because of their cultural background, is that really your name when they introduce themselves? Anybody? Like, hi, my name's John. And you're like, your skin tone tells me you're not probably John. Come on, anybody? Like, my name's Jonathan. And I, I, I mean a lot of, like, I get, yeah, anyway, contextually, there are people that have different names in different cultures. It's just easier to pronounce it, yes? So Saul is not a saved, renamed by God, like Abraham to, or Abram to Abraham, or Sarai to Sarah. Saul to Paul is literally Saul going, I'm going to go reach now a different context of people, from Jews to, to the Gentiles, and Saul, they just wouldn't know that name, so I'm going by Paul. That's pretty cool, that what he's doing is basically he's going, I'm contextualizing myself so that more and more people can be, be known by Jesus and can know Jesus. Just look in Acts 22 as we end this this morning. God said to Paul, and actually, let me just really give us a quick context. Paul is now preaching a message to Jewish leaders. So he's getting to go to, like, the council of all the religious elite, all the people that he was once a part of. And he's been preaching for a while, and they've been listening, and they've been enjoying it because Saul was pretty, you know, he's pretty good. And so he's continuing his story, and Saul, Paul says, God said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. These are not Jewish people. These are the other people. This is the them. You know what I'm talking about? Like the people that we would write off as going like, oh, yeah, you, you, don't, want to tell the, you don't want to talk to them about Jesus. They won't listen to you. And, and they go ahead, and up to this word, they listened to him. But up to that word, Gentiles, they were like, no. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Because our thoughts are sometimes not God's thoughts. And our ways are not sometimes God's ways. And so they were like, nope, this is not possible. And Saul's going, no, I can tell you it is. Because I can tell you there's no way the grace of God should have affected me the way it did. And Saul's going, so I'm confident that the grace of God is for people who don't, don't come from the line of Abraham. I'm so confident that this love and grace of Jesus is actually for the people that we would think are way too far gone. 
Saul's going, I'm so confident that actually our future heroes could be some of our current enemies. I'm so confident that Jesus is that good. Friends, there are devout Muslims who Jesus is meeting in dreams. Let there be some Ananiases and some Barnabases for them. There are people whose atheism is being shaken by God himself. Let there be some Ananiases and some Barnabases for them. There are people whose sexual identity had defined them until Jesus got to go ahead and tell them, no, I have a new defining way to, for you to identify yourself. Let there be some Ananiases and some Barnabases. There are people who have mocked the gospel who Jesus wants to mold by the gospel. Yes? So let there be some, let's be some Ananiases and some Barnabases who can come alongside them. There are some people who we would never imagine could be changed by the gospel of Jesus, but it's just because we need to have our faith increased. So here's what we're doing this morning. I, don't, I didn't come here this morning. I talked to Pastor Brandon about this. I didn't come here to preach and to wow you. I came to have church. And I, in church, we pray and we do these things. So I don't know where you're at spiritually, and actually I want to check in with you a little bit. For some of you today, I, I don't know. Um, maybe you're the person who is so far that you think that Jesus couldn't do it. You, you, you self-identify as the person who, like Saul, is the one who, yeah, there's not really a likelihood, the most unlikely person to come to Jesus. I just want you to know, you would not be actually the most amazing convert to Christianity, the most amazing soul that Jesus could save. He has done far amazing things in the past, and he's looking to do it today. And if you're that person, there'd be no reason to wait. Jesus is worth following. Yeah, your life might be a hot mess, Jesus is the one who can fix it. You'll never fix it and then get right with him. He fixes it. So just come to Jesus. But I also believe it's a really valuable thing for us who, um, who follow Jesus to pray and to ask God to increase our faith and to pray for people who don't have our faith. Not as if our faith is just a, a doctrine of beliefs. I mean a relationship with Jesus where Jesus gets in and gets to, to do a work that only he knows and uh, exactly all that he's looking to do, but he's looking to transform us into new people that can live fully alive like he designed us to live, the abundant life that he designed us to live. Yeah? So here's what we're doing. Because again, we're just, we're just, we're doing church this morning. I want you to get comfortable in your seat for a second if you haven't already. Um, but I want you to think of and picture the person or persons that if I were to go around the room, and I'm not going to, and ask you, who is the person that you think is most unlikely to ever follow Jesus? For me, I literally have a face and a name. And maybe for you, it's a whole group of people. Maybe it's a person you know um, well. Maybe you've known him for years, or maybe you just met him. I don't, I don't much care, but Jesus cares deeply who it is. And so in this moment, you are gonna talk to Jesus. We are gonna talk to Jesus, and we're gonna ask him to do the impossible. We're gonna pray that Jesus would reveal himself to these people, that he would do what he's been known to do before, which is do the unthinkable and to transform a heart and a mind, that it would be softened to the gospel, that the gospel would then be proclaimed by the right person at the right time in the right way so they would hear and know the good news of Jesus and that they would choose to follow and that there would be people that would come alongside them, Ananiases and Barnabases that would support their faith, would champion them, would be there to go ahead and help nurture them into fully living the life that Jesus has for them. Yes? Okay.
So, so what we're going to do is we're going to pray. The band's going to give us some music to, to have in the background. And right where you're at, we're just going to spend about two minutes and we're going to pray for these people. And I want you to, here's what I want to ask you guys. If this is new to you or foreign, respectfully, I don't, I don't care. Um, if, it's, if it's new and foreign, because there's not really a right or wrong way to do it. You simply, in your own mind, just talk to Jesus. Ask him to increase your faith. Ask him to do a work. And let's just kind of have a moment where in this room, we fill this space with faith that encourages each other to believe that God is still at work doing the things that he did back thousands of years ago. He's not done doing it. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, you said that you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. There is no way to the Father but through you. Lord, I pray for anybody in this room who there is, there is something you're looking to do in their life where it calls them to leave the way that they've been going, the truths that they have believed up to this point, and the life they've been trying to live for themselves. Instead, you're calling them to follow you. That maybe they're so, so far gone, they would think that they couldn't be transformed or changed, that it's too much. Jesus, we know that's not true. So if this person, if there's anybody in this room today uh, that you're looking to transform and to, to call them to yourself, to be born again into new life, Lord, would you allow that person just to know with boldness and courage that that absolutely is for them. You are calling them. There's no question about it. You want to seek and to save them. And you'll do all the work that needs to happen in order to clean them up and make them all that you called them to be. Not them. You can do it, Jesus. Now, Jesus, we also come to you this morning recognizing that the story of Saul and Paul it's a story that did happen, but it's not just meant to be history that we look back on and go, wow, can you imagine seeing somebody's life transformed in such a miraculous way? But that, God, we want to see that today. God, as we sit in this room together, there are names and faces. There are brothers and there are sisters. There are in-laws. There are neighbors. There are coworkers that continue to argue or to just be so disinterested in Jesus. They're nice. They just don't care at all. There are whole groups of people that we know of that 
Maybe they have a, a whole worldview that's constructed that wouldn't make room for the gospel in different ways. But Jesus, none of these things are impossible for you. Would you increase our faith to believe that you can do unimaginable, unthinkable things because you've done it before? Would you increase our hope to believe with expectation that you can? God, we know that it's up to you that in many ways some of us have seen and been brokenhearted by seeing people refuse you and die without you and we don't understand and we don't know how it works necessarily, God, but we do know that you are still seeking and saving the lost, that you're a miracle-working God. And so we would choose to go ahead and be on the team that says we're gonna believe God for the great things that he can do. God, we pray for these people. We, we don't have the time to go and name each name, but for everyone that's got a name that they're thinking of in this room, Lord, we ask you together, would you do a work in their life? God, would you allow for the heart to be softened, for the gospel message to be proclaimed, and for them to turn and find full life in Jesus? Jesus, would you allow for there to be Ananias and Barnabases who come along and are gonna be support to those people so that they can be kind of background heroes to those new heroes that you're raising up. Jesus, you are on the throne reigning and ruling. You are mighty and you are good. And so, this is all these things we've just asked you are not too much for you. They're in line with your heart for people. Would you continue to align our heart with your heart so that our eyes can see and we can picture. Lord, let there be stories here in New Post Church, in our community, in our neighborhoods, and in our workplaces, in our families, where we tell stories of, I remember praying and having a hard time believing, but won't God do it? Jesus changed that life. Jesus, would you do this for your honor and for your glory? And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.